Good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year 2023. Um, I remember as a kid, I thought the year 2000 would never come around, let alone standing here today and think it's 2023. And as I think we watched that video, isn't it incredible? Like the last week has been hot and it's good summer weather. And so it's going to be a great time to do a summer of Psalms today. My name's James. If we haven't met, um, I'd love to get to know you after today's service. But please have your Bibles open there to Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 today as we kick off this series in the Summer of Psalms, as we go through a variety of Psalms that, that speak about life. The Psalms are real, they're raw, they speak about praising God, they speak about joy, and they speak about darkness as well and the reality of the world that we live in. And so my prayer for us over this season is that we'll find fullness and delight in God as we go through a few Psalms. And so today we're doing Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 and let's ask God now to help us as we open up His Word on this New Year's Day. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for a new day. Every day is from you. We have a new year. Thanks for the way that which you've ordered this universe. So we have seasons like summer, autumn, winter, spring. And Father, we want to just thank you for that. And a new year. And so, Father, as we kick off a new year, we want to delight in your word and we want to be shaped by it this day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have have this rhythm in life. I have this daily habit that I do without fail. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter the kind of day I have. But it's that rhythm that you do every day. It's a rhythm that's been developed over 38 years. And it doesn't matter this rhythm whether I'm tired whether I'm exhausted, whether I've had a great day. This rhythm happens every day. I can fall asleep on the couch and be ready to go to bed and need to go to bed, but I still do this rhythm every day. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. And guess what I do every day before I go to bed? I clean my teeth. I just cannot not do it now. It's a rhythm. It's a habit. But when I was 15, when I was 10, I'd be walking out the door to catch the school bus and mum would say, James, son, have you cleaned your teeth? And the kids here will know, you go, oh no, I haven't. It took like 15, 16 years to a point where I had to do it every day, this habit over and over again. And now today, I just, I cannot go to bed without cleaning my teeth. Even when I'm sick, I've got to clean my teeth. Do you have habits? Do you have daily rhythms? Do you have things like that in life that you do all the time? They're things that we develop. Some happen by no discipline at all. Others happen because of discipline. And I think no matter whether you're a super organised person or whether you're totally disorganised, whether you're OCD or you don't want to even have a calendar or plan a week yet, we all have daily rhythms and habits that are a part of our life. You know, for some of you, that rhythm, you get up every morning, you go and boil the kettle, you turn the coffee machine on, you get the bowl of cereal out and you just do that every day. Maybe you have the habit of getting up and you go for a walk or for a run. It's just a, a rhythm and a habit that happens. There's so many habits and rhythms that we create and do. Some are good, some are bad. Rhythms, they, they give us this sense of security. Rhythms help us have structure, rhythms help us be ordered. It's just a part of everyday life. For some of you, you may get up as young parents and your rhythm is you just get the kids out of bed because they're awake and you watch Peppa Pig every morning without fail. But there can be rhythms that are, you know, that we develop without meaning to develop them. Sometimes they're unhelpful. 
Enough science and enough study has shown that if you first thing in the morning, first thing you do is you scroll onto your social media page and spend the first half an hour. And if you do that the, the, the last half an hour before you go to bed, studies are starting to show that that's not good for our emotional health. Now, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that stuff, but the, start the studies are starting to show that that habit that we form of firstly checking our phone actually isn't good for our emotional health. See, habits are good for us spiritually, emotionally, and physically as well. You know, that, that, that habit of maybe Netflix, you, it's, you start off by watching one episode every night, and that TV series is so captivating that you've got to watch a second and then a third. And then one night, it's like 1am and you've got to go to work and you wake up the next morning, I'm not going to do that again. But the next night, you've created that rhythm. And so you watch one, two, three episodes. And before long, a week, two weeks go past and it's just a habit that you watch four episodes of your favourite TV show before you go to bed. Now, it's good to watch shows. It's good to be engaged. But there is habits and things that we create. And so on New Year's Day today, I want us for a moment to, re to restock, to retake, to, to take a moment to go, what is a, some daily rhythms that are actually really good for us? And so whether you're here today as a Christian or whether you're not a believer yet, I think for all of us, as we come to today's passages in Psalm 1 and 2, we, there's some rhythms that we can have in our life that is good for our spiritual and emotional and can even flow over into our physical life. So I've got three daily rhythms for us today on this New Year's Day. And we're going to get them from Psalm 1 and 2. Now, Psalm 1 and 2 actually go together. I'm more and more convinced that Psalm 1 and 2 are one psalm, that are two, they've been sort of split, they're meant to be read together. They're an introduction to the psalms. If I was to ask you, a survey, who knows Psalm 1, I reckon a lot of you would go, yeah, we know it. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. But I wonder how many, if I said, how many do you know Psalm 2? And I think that's a lot less. But Psalm 1 and 2 go together. I'm convinced they go together. Have a look at your Bibles for a moment. Psalm 1. Have a look at, it says a title, Psalm 1, and then it goes straight to blessed. Psalm 2, it goes straight to who do the nations conspire? Then you go to Psalm 3 and have a look. There's a superscription. Psalm 4, there's a superscription. There's, there's these details. In book one of the Psalms, only Psalm 1 and 2 don't have that. Psalm 1, have a look again at Psalm 1. Blessed, it starts with blessed. Psalm 2 ends with blessed. It's called a bookend. It's bringing everything in between together. Verse 2. But who does delight is in the law of the Lord who meditates. That's a word called meditate. Now, verse 1 of chapter 2. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot, which is the same word for meditate. It's the same Hebrew word. It's the same word from Psalm 1. The word way in Psalm 1 is the same word of way in verse 12 of chapter 2. So for us to actually understand Psalm 1, we've actually got to understand Psalm 2. They go together. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to see three daily rhythms from Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. And it is good for us to look at Psalm 2 with Psalm 1. Don't ever skip it. Read them together. They're an introduction to the whole 150 Psalms. Okay, so here's... Daily rhythm number one. You probably already recognise what it's going to be. The daily rhythm of meditating on God's Word. The daily rhythm. See, Psalm 1 wants you to remember to walk in God's instructions every day. See, it asks the question, what way are you walking? 
How are you walking? Which is the way of life that you've chosen to live out? Have a look at verse one. Blessed is the one. Now, blessed here isn't the idea of material blessing. That if you do this psalm, your whole life's gonna turn out well. The other 148 Psalms tells us that even if you do meditate on the word day and night, bad things still happen. But what it means by blessed, it's the life God intended for you. It's the life, it's the happy life, the way that God has built us to live. And so it says, okay, blessed is one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. He's talking about the walk of life, the way you walk. It's your worldview. It's how you view the spiritual room. It's how you view life. It's how you live your life out on planet earth. See, verse one, it's a lifestyle choice. It's a worldview. Uh, on Tuesday, which was the Boxing Day sales were on on Tuesday. And so I don't buy shoes very often, but I needed another pair of shoes. And so me and Harvey, my oldest son, we went to West Point at Blacktown and we went shoe shopping. I'm glad he came with me because he knows where all the shops were. And we went, into, we went into West Point and we went to JD Sport. We went to another shop. You walked in and it was just white shoes. I went to Rebel Sport. I went to Skechers. I went to Platypus. And there's just so many shoes to pick from. I just didn't know what to pick. And as you look at the shoes, the shoes you pick tells you something about who you are. I use shoes just to walk around in life, but the shoes you choose tells you about the lifestyle choices you have made. And I couldn't decide who I wanted to be on that day. I couldn't work out what shoes to pick. And so I, I didn't buy any, went home and I got my wife to come along and she decided what lifestyle I'm going to live with shoes. <laughs> but it's, someone's deeper than that. Even though the shoes you wear tells us something about who you are, your lifestyle choices, what you believe to be important, is, it's, it's even deeper here in Psalm 1. It's a lifestyle choice. And then we get the contrast, right? Which lifestyle are you going to go? Well, you've got, or you've got, the, you've got the way of the wicked or are you going to have the way of those who delight in the law of the Lord? Look at verse two. See the contrast? See, the law of the Lord isn't just the Ten Commandments. In the Psalms, the law is the instruction of God. It's the full counsel of Him. In Him is found true wisdom. See, the way of a child of God to get wisdom is to get it from God. And to get this wisdom, we need to meditate on it day and night. We are to delight in it. The daily rhythm of meditating on the Word of God, the daily rhythm of delighting in it. You delight to get wisdom from God. You take pleasure in reading His Word. But like any habit, at first you don't delight in it. If you decided to start running tomorrow, you ain't going to delight in running tomorrow. It's probably going to take you six years before you start to delight in it. But there's a sense in the more you meditate on God's Word, it start, you start to delight in it. But it's a delight that's not based upon your circumstances. It's not something that's according to you, you know, today I'm happy, therefore I delight. Or tomorrow I'm sad. Or you're going through suffering. It's, it's not that kind of delight that's based upon circumstances, but it's, it's, it's actually delighting God and His wisdom, His counsel. And did you notice it doesn't say meditating only when you get up? Like it's not just reading your daily bread for five minutes, having a cup of coffee. It's, it's meditating on it day and night. It's, it's ruminating, it's reading it, it's knowing it. It's, it's, it's filling your mind with it. Now, 
This kind of meditation is actually very different to the Eastern world view of meditation. The meditation that's around us and it's being pushed upon us is the meditation of emptying your mind. It's emptying yourself. It's forgetting all these things and trying to cleanse yourself by meditating and thinking upon nothing. But actually, meditation here, it's the other way around. Do you see biblical meditations? It's actually, it's filling your mind with wisdom, the wisdom of God. It's filling your mind with the things we should be filling it with. It's the daily rhythm over and over again. But it doesn't produce fruit overnight, does it? Those daily rhythms, they're, they're hard to do. They don't just catch on within a moment, but it takes days. And it's over a year, it's over two, it's over three and four that you start to see the fruit of a daily habit of walking or, or a daily habit of exercise. It takes years for it to form and see the fruit of it. And in verses three and four, we move from a person to an image to a tree that produces fruit to chaff that just gets blown away. A fruit tree or a tree planted by a stream of water, it yields fruit in season and it does not wither. It's, it's like here it is, it takes time, but it's, it's a tree, it's, it's grounded, unlike chaff. Now, chaff is actually good at some point. Like it's around the grain, it's, it's meant to be, but what happens is, unlike the grain, chaff is here one minute and it's gone the next but the fruit remains. See, remember that the chaff is here one day and it's gone the next. See, as attractive as the worldview of the world is, and it can bring a form of short-term happiness, it can bring a short-term sense of fulfilment through your career and all those variety of things, eventually those things give way, don't they? Because your job fails, your marriage fails, a child dies, all these variety of things happen but see, the, the, the view of the world, it, it's, it's like chaff. It's here. It's here now, but one day it's just going to be gone. And so we walk, not in that instruction, but we walk every day by meditating on the Word of God in His instructions. Because I think deep down, we think that independence and freedom is the best way for our life. That to be free from God is the really true, happy life. I, I remember a funeral for a, for a man who was in his 90s. And I remember being there and I remember as the coffin was going out, the songs tell you something about what they believe. And so he, the coffin went out to Frank Sinatra, did it my way. Now here's some of the lyrics. I've lived a life that's full. I travelled each and every highway and more, much more than this, I did it my way. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the way, and more and much more than this, I did it my way. For what is man? What has he got if not himself? Then he has naught. The re let the record show I've taken the blows and I've done it my way. Yes, it was done my way. Now, I think we have a rhythm and a habit that's built into us every day where we wake up and we, re we rely upon ourselves. We seek to be the masters of our own lives, our own destinies, and we want to do things our way. 
But Psalm 1 paints a different story for us. It says, if you let go of that, if you let go of this misheld belief that you need to do it your way, you will start to soon discover that there is a better way, a more happy and fulfilled, satisfying way than what you have now. And that's the daily rhythm of meditating on God's Word. It's the daily rhythm of meditating on the Word of God. But see, the Psalms, what I love about the Psalm 1 is it doesn't say life's going to go well and, and everything's just going to turn out right. See, Psalm 1, here's the ideal life, meditating and living the lifestyle that God wants for us. And yet you go and read the next 148 Psalms and you start to realise life is dark, there's sin, there's chaos, there's moments of great joy. It doesn't exclude you from that, but it's actually in that that you find hope because of God and who He is. The daily rhythm of meditating on God's Word. The daily rhythm of meditating on God's Word. And here's a couple of things just to suggest. If you're not already doing it, don't come out of the gate thinking you can do three hours of it in one hit. But maybe you're here today and you need to start that. Maybe you need to strengthen it. Maybe you need to grow that habit, that rhythm of every day meditating and just filling yourself with the Word of God. And here's two ways we can do it, I think. There's a couple of ways. Here's the first. There's, two, there's, week, there's daily rhythms and then there's weekly rhythms for us. The first daily rhythm is, is it's to read the Bible, to, to open it up and to reflect and to read. Now, if you want a great way to do that, there is some great reading plans where you can read the whole Bible in a year. There's ones where you can read it for five days and you read the Bible in a year. You can have one for seven days. There, you can find them anywhere. And if you want one of those and you want a plan for this year, let me know and I will get one for you. It's a great way to memorise and to, to memorise and then memorise the scriptures as well so that you can think about it or to train yourself in the middle of the day at lunchtime rather than to think about how your boss has ticked you off. Maybe just go, no, I'm going to think about the verse that I read this morning. The daily rhythm of reading the Bible and meditating and memorising. But also I want to I mention the, not only the daily but the weekly rhythms we have in life. God is a God of order. He's built rhythms. He's built seven days in a week. And can I just encourage you that the actual weekly rhythm of coming to church is very, very important. In church, it's where we do it together. Now, in Psalm 1, I don't know whether you noticed the psalm was read. Towards the end, it starts off as a solo person. But at the end of verse 6, sorry, verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Those who live the instruction of God, we actually do this together as a community. And when we come regularly on a Sunday, we're doing this here today. That regular rhythm of meeting, singing together, singing that's not about you, singing that's about actually us spurring each other on and praising God and letting God's Word just saturate our life. That weekly rhythm of attending church is incredibly good for us. And what we've seen over the last couple of years Having a, a, a pandemic worldwide, what does that do? It cut those rhythms. And once you stop a rhythm and a habit for more than 30 days, you lose it. Stats show us that after two months, it's generally gone and you've got to restart that rhythm. And so what's happened is as Christians, sometimes we've stopped that rhythm of just the weekly attendance of coming to church. Build that rhythm. The weekly regularity of being in a life group. See, when you meet once a month as a life group, if you miss one month, 
It's no longer a regular rhythm. It's just, and before long, you just don't meet. That's why it's good to have weekly rhythms in our life. It's good for us. The daily rhythm of meditating on the Word of God. But here's the second one. The daily rhythm of lifting your eyes. Lifting your eyes to the bigger picture. Psalm 1, it's zoned in. Psalm 2 zooms out. Have you ever found yourself being consumed by what's going on around you? Consumed by the world that we live in? The news 24-7. Maybe you feel like the world, it's, it's just changing at such a rapid pace that you're not sure what to do with it. Maybe you're worried about your kids going to school because school's different to when you were at school. Maybe you're 65 here today and you're retired and you've got grandkids and you're like, phew, I'm glad I'm not going to be around in 40 years time to see what they have to deal with. Or maybe you're struggling with that, that push from society that you feel that I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm getting pushed more and more to the side. Maybe you feel like God is being mocked and despised more and more. But I think Psalm 2 actually it lifts your eyes and my eyes out of that and says that's nothing new. It wants you to lift your eyes and to fix them back on God and that big picture. See, Psalm 2, it's one that it zooms out. Look at the real picture. Don't look at your little street that you live in. As much as God knows and He loves us and He knows every detail of our lives, He knows every tear that you've cried, He knows every hair on your head. And he, Psalm 1 reminds us that He knows that and He, he des- wants us to have that lifestyle that He has intended for us to have. At the same time, though, He doesn't want you to get caught up in that and He wants you to go, there's a lot bigger plan going on that's playing out in this world than you've ever noticed. See, Israel, who would have read or sung or talked about this psalm at the coronation of a king, it reminds us that Israel, they were the odd ones out in society. They were the smaller nation of complete insignificance in the world. There was Assyria, there was Babylon, there was nations so far bigger that were tapping on the doorstep of this little nation, these no-hopers in the middle of Jerusalem and there's these nations around them that could just smother them. Psalm 2 reminds them that as they face that, as they face the reality of not having a king on the throne for century after century after century, God's reminding them, lift your eyes to the bigger picture. Lift your eyes to the bigger picture. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 2. The nations have always been raging. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? Verse 2, the kings of the earth rise up. Verse 3, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. See, verse 1 to 3, it's, it's zoomed in on us and the world who's raging and meditating the evil and conspiring and mocking God or the king that he's appointed on his throne. Or the no, There's this sense of the nations are planning all these big plans for their success and their happiness and their desires. And in verse 4, we go from our little street to sitting above the universe where God is enthroned in heaven. And, and God is enthroned in this moment. He says, they're laughing, they're scoffing in Psalm 1. They scoff at God and yet God's like, do you really know who you are in comparison to me sitting on my throne? He scoffs. He's, he's the one who's seated above all things. 
You're like ants. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his, his wrath. That's God's response to these people who are trying to make their little throne rooms. And then verses four to six, we got, it's, it's God's response. But then in verses seven to nine, we see the king's response. See, God appoints a king. And then in verse seven, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I become your father. Verse eight, ask of me and I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possessions. You will break them with the rod of iron. Here's God's response. See, God's in this moment pulling us out and saying there's a far bigger cosmic plan. There's a bigger reality going on than you could ever conceive. And so therefore, the daily rhythm of lifting your eyes out of your circumstance and seeing, wow, God really is in control. And then in verses 10 to 12, the king calls you to wisdom, to come and find wisdom, find refuge before it's too late. Psalm 1 zooms in, Psalm 2 zooms out. You've got to read them both together. I sometimes wonder whether Christians, I, I, I've pondered this this week, I've pondered it other times in my life, where I wonder whether Christians of every generation have thought that their generation was the worst. That they've looked around them and thought everything was chaotic, there's nothing been like this before. Psalm 2 says it's nothing new. It's been happening since the fall of humanity. But remember who's in control, who's on his throne. That daily rhythm of lifting your eyes from your street, your suburb, your kitchen table and going, wow, look, even though they're conspiring and raging, God is seated on his throne above the universe. He's got his king. If there's no king, it's okay. The right king will come along. God's got it sorted. He's got a plan. Lift your eyes every day. Lift your eyes to the bigger reality of God's sovereignty. I'm getting ready. Uh, in, in next week, next Tuesday, I'm getting ready to head overseas. I'm going to head overseas for three weeks. I'm going to do a study tour through Greece and Turkey, and then I'm going to go to Jerusalem for, for five days. I'm going, I'm going on a study tour, and we're going to, I'm going to be looking at some of the New Testament churches, the cities that they were in, like Ephesus and Corinth, and, and where those letters that Paul wrote. But what I'm really doing is I'm actually looking at some of the churches of Revelation, looking at their context and their historical location and what was going on in their world. And what I've really found, the more I read Revelation and think about the context of it, it's a book that isn't about how you are meant to get the newspaper today and get the book of Revelation and try and link it all up and go, oh, that's going to happen because that's not how you're meant to read Revelation. It was written to seven churches in a historical time and it has words of wisdom for them of how to live. And what Revelation does is it pulls their attention from the imperial cult, Rome pushing them out and saying, look what God's doing. See, in Ephesus, they would have had people who would have gathered and they would have sung hymns of praise to the emperor. They sung hymns of worship to the emperor of Rome. But what John does, he says to those churches at Ephesus, he says, look at Revelation chapter 4. They're singing hymns to the emperor, but I'm going to have all nations and tribes come and worship and sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. See, what Revelation does, it takes you, it reminds you of the world that we live in, the chaos and the darkness and the push against the king, and it paints you and says, here, 
God is on his throne. See, there's hope. See, Psalm 2 is a psalm of absolute hope as the people rage against the king. Lift our eyes to the bigger story. Look at verse 8 of Psalm 2. Look what this king of God gives. I think it gives us. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possessions. You'll break them with a rod of iron and you'll dash them to the pieces like pot. Now, is, he talk, is the king talking about he's going to do that for God or is he going to do it for us? I think it's both. So as, as Jesus comes along, he gets an inheritance. And as Christians, we are his brothers and sisters. So whatever Jesus has, whatever he inherits, we inherit. What a picture. What he has, we inherit. So that every beautiful waterfall is ours. Every star, the new universe, the new heavens, the new earth, the, the, the new creation, that is actually ours. So that this verse, it's actually quoted in the book of Revelation in chapter 2, where the city of Thyatira, they, the Christians were having the threat of their homes and possessions and their inheritance being stripped away from them. And what John does, it says, remember Psalm 2? Look what you're going to have and the inheritance that is to come. And so even though there are culture wars still raging, even though there are people still trying to win the culture wars, even though there may be political unrest, remember what's coming. Remember who's in control. Lift your eyes, that daily rhythm every day. Work out a way in which you can remind yourself that God is sovereign. What might that be? It might be a sign on your coffee machine. It might be on the back of your toilet door. Lift your eyes to the bigger picture. It's easy to get consumed by the news or to panic or to be consumed by worry and anxiety that flourishes and blooms within us as we're captivated by some story that we go down some rabbit warren and we think that if I can just work this theory out... All my worries and problems will be concerned. And if everyone else would just know it, life would be best. And what happens is rather than meditating on God, we start meditating on that news or that theory. And before long, it becomes a rhythm that every day you need to find out, is there another avenue to this theory that I don't know about yet? But Psalm 2 says, no, 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 get that rhythm of lifting your eyes to the bigger picture. Because Psalm 2 reminds us that any rebellion against God and his anointed king. See, Psalm 2 reminds us that any rebellion against God's and his anointed king, of when he wants him anointed, it failed. It fails. And so too, we get to the book of Acts. So too was the rebellion of Herod, Pilate, Israel and the Gentiles. That's you and me who conspired to kill Jesus. And don't think that if you were there, you wouldn't have that that conspiracy that they raged against the king, it failed. It failed because we know that Jesus was risen from the grave. And so that means for us, for the church, for the kingdom of God, any rebellion against her will fail. That daily rhythm of lifting your eyes to the bigger picture, lifting your eyes, having that daily habit of meditating on the word of God, having that daily rhythm of, of lifting our eyes to the bigger picture. And to do that, it's, it's costly, isn't it? It's, it's not something that just comes overnight. It's, it's not something that I find easy. I find there's so many other things that I find easier to build habits than to do these things. A habit takes time. It takes discipline. 
over and over and over again. And, and James Clear, in this quote, he says now, he's not a Christian, but he's got a book called Atomic Habits. And he says this, if the quote should be on the screen, all big things come from small beginnings. The seed of every habit is a single tiny decision. But as that decision is repeated, a habit sprouts and grows stronger. Roots entrenched, roots entrench themselves and branches grow. The task of breaking a bad habit is like uprooting a powerful oak within us. Have you found that? I find that with my habits. There's rhythms I don't want and it's just like trying to tear an oak tree out of the ground. And the task of building a good habit is like cultivating a delicate flower one day at a time. Friends, it's, it's the daily rhythm of just one day at a time, of meditating on God's word, that daily rhythm of just lifting our eyes to the bigger picture of Psalm 2, which then really leads us to the third and final habit. It's the daily rhythm of resting in Jesus. It's a daily habit. See, it's a daily rhythm of telling yourself the good news of Jesus day after day after day. Don't think that once you become a Christian that you need to forget about the good news and you move on. No, it's something you need to remember every day because we forget. And Psalm 1 and 2 prepares you and me for the greatest son, for our need for the greatest son. Did you ever feel the tension of Psalm 1? I feel the tension of Psalm 1 because Psalm 1 is about the ideal Israelite who lives and meditates day and night. I don't do that. No matter how much I know I should, I don't meditate morning and night. As I think about Psalm 1, I know I have not lived out Psalm 1 perfectly. There's moments this week, there'll be moments in your life as you look back this week and you took instruction from the world. There's moments this week where you rebelled against the authority of Australia because in that moment, it was just easier and more comfortable for you to go, I don't want to listen to God here for a moment. It's just easier for me to do this. There's been moments this week where you've yelled at kids, not because they've broken your commands or that they're disobeying God. It's just that they've inconvenienced you this week. And so Psalm 1, it just gives me this tension. Of going, I can't live Psalm 1 out perfectly. Who can? Who is this person who can live this Psalm 1 out? Well, it's none other. This is why you need Psalm number 2. None other than the anointed Son of God of Psalm 2. Look at verse 12. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Who's the in Him of verse 12? Look at verse 7. You are my Son. It's the Son of, who's been anointed by God. And that's the Son who is the Psalm 1 man who is the Psalm 1 man who we find later on in the New Testament is actually Jesus. It's actually Jesus who lives Psalm 1 out perfectly, directing his life by the word of God. See, Psalm 2 reminds us that we needed a man who could, a person who could live out Psalm 1. And that was going to be his anointed king, but every king that came along stuffed up. But there was one who came along who really is the son, who Hebrews and, and the book of Acts tells us that this son is Jesus that Psalm 2 talks about. And so how does God bring the nations to bow down before this king when the king is raging against those people who rebel against him? It's in the most amazing and sacrificial way that instead of the king right now wiping you and me out, 
who have raged against Jesus, the very king we've raged against is the very king who intercedes for us. Jesus who died for us and who's bringing people from all nations around the world to bow down, to rescue, to find refuge in him. And that's why he invites us in verse 10 to 12 to come and find refuge in Jesus, the king to find hope in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, if you don't find it now, this king will come and destroy. But he's made a way for each one of you and me here today to delight in him, to find redemption, to take refuge in him. And as we take refuge in this son, it's now we can live out Psalm 1. We delight in Psalm 1. We delight because we've been transformed. And that's why we need to have that daily rhythm of meditating on God's word every day. We need to have that daily rhythm, that daily rhythm of lifting your eyes up to the bigger picture, to the sovereignty of God. And we need that daily rhythm of resting in Jesus because we don't want to confuse our salvation with living someone. I think if I do all of this, I will gain merit. No, no, no. We do this because we've taken refuge and we've found life and purpose and meaning in the king who we have kissed, the king who died for us, the king who lived the life we could not live. He died the death we should have died and he was raised from the grave. That's true hope for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask that we will delight in your word, that we'll delight in your son. Help us to create rhythms in our life which will flourish and nourish and help us to know you more, to delight in you more, and to live out this week in a world filled with chaos. But to be able to live in this world and not worry, but to live in this world, to lift our eyes, to see that you're on your throne, your son is on his throne, and you're bringing all things under his feet. And therefore, whatever comes our way this week, we don't have to fret or worry. So Father, help us this week and our families are in our tables during our week. Help us to lift our eyes to you. And Father, help us never to forget to rest and to know that we've taken refuge in Jesus who's done it all for us at the cross. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.